In this Climate Gen episode, I speak with fossil-free London activist Nuri Syed Corsa about their focused activism targeting the biggest polluters operating in the UK's capital. At a time when the UK is reeling from extreme heat waves, the government are holding back on renewable energy projects and backing fossil fuel investments that will please their backers and make the climate problem much, much worse. They are also using the Russian invasion of Ukraine as an excuse to increase coal, oil and gas extraction across the British Isles. Activist groups like Fossil Free London help to highlight who the polluters are and bring public attention to their careless and destructive activities. As has been said in previous interviews, the activists and civil society groups are more in line with what the science tells us we need to do than the policymakers entrusted to protect us. And this has to stop. Thanks for listening to Climate Gen. In the next episode, I'm speaking with a retired US general, Norman Seep, who is now president of the American Security Project and who agrees with me that as much as climate change is a US national security threat, US climate policy itself is a security threat to the rest of the world. You can subscribe on YouTube and all podcast channels, and you can also get content early as well as extra by backing this series on patreon.com. Please do get in touch or send feedback via GenCC. Nuri, it's fantastic to speak to you. Thank you very much for taking the time. Fossil Free London, the clue is in the name. A recent action we saw this week. Can you give some background to the company and what qualified them in particular for direct action? Hello, Nick. Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Really excited to be here. Yes. Yeah, so on Tuesday, uh, myself from Fossil Free London and various activists from other groups, including Money Rebellion, staged a disruptive action at the annual shareholder meeting of UK Oil and Gas, or, or UCOG, as they, they get called as well. Why did we choose UCOG? Well, I mean, basically the clue is in, is in the name for them as well. They are an oil and gas company and they are pursuing a reckless new drilling operations across primarily the south of England with a few sort of outliers in Turkey as well. I'm not quite sure what the rationale is there. I, you know, you well know, Nick, we cannot afford to have any new oil and gas fields produced. I mean, that's something that we've heard from the International Energy Agency, from UN bodies, from the Secretary General of the UN. It's really, really clear that if we want to have a shot at staying within 1.5 degrees of warming, which we need for a livable future, then we need to keep new fossil fuel reserves in the ground. Now, UCOG are absolutely flouting that. They are pushing ahead with new drilling sites in Horse Hill, in Surrey, in Dunsfold as well. And these obviously have a huge impact locally as well and can really devastate local environment hurt local communities but they're also just incompatible with the carbon emissions reductions we need okay and the initial reaction i mean the, the film is quite mesmerizing in a way the initial reaction from the company was to manhandle one of the young women involved in the action how does it feel when you're in this situation because there must be some tension i know there's some sort of theatrical elements to it as well but the, how does it feel when you get a sort of potentially violent response yeah, I mean, theatrical is really the right word because you kind of go into it with this sort of these sort of stage fright pre-action nerves because you don't know how it's going to go. And you kind of think through the scenarios and you think, OK, probably we'll stand up, probably we'll, we'll, we'll be able to unfold the banner, we'll be able to speak, we'll be able to get our message across. But you're never sure. You're never sure how the security can react. And this was really, really shocking. I don't think any of us expected the degree of violence or the speed with which it happened. You know, the meeting was 
30 seconds in and two of my you know two of my friends who I was there there with got up to un- un- unveil the banner as soon as they started speaking two people charged across the room to manhandle both of them knocked them to the ground picked up one of them sort of around by you know by by the waist and the other one was 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 dragged across the floor and got quite quite nasty carpet burns and both were pretty shaken and you know you you do try as you say you try to prepare for these things you try to think like you know how how could this go what sort of security response could we expect but generally you think oh, okay maybe we'll be asked to leave you don't think this private security is going to sort of physically assault us for being there. And I should stress maybe on this point that we had a legal right to be there. You know, we didn't, we weren't doing anything illegal by being in there, being in the room for the protest. So really the heavy handedness, I think is really quite shocking. Does it deter you at all from doing future actions? Have you discussed this with your, with the team? Yeah. So, I mean, as as a group, certainly not. Um, And for me, it's, for me, it wouldn't. And I think for the, the two people concerned in, on this occasion, I, I don't think it would either. I think if anything, there is a sort of, um, there is a kind of coming together around it. If that sounds, doesn't sound too hippie, it does a bit. Um, but there's a sort of real rallying, rallying of solidarity and um, support for those people. And I think in some ways it maybe makes you want to sort of do it more and to be more confrontational and more assertive in your, in your activism. But I can see that it, it absolutely wouldn't go that way for everybody. And the really alarming thing is that there'll be lots of people who maybe are thinking about getting involved with this kind of thing. They're really interested in pursuing activism who will see that video and will go, oh, God, I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be hit by a security guard. And that's that's really chilling. That has a really chilling effect on democracy and on the right to protest. And to some extent, that is also a sign of that tactic working, because what they want to achieve by doing that is not just to shut down the action there and then they want to deter it from happening in the future do you so. think perhaps the the fact that you're sort of prodding this oil and gas system because it is a sort of a system of extractivism there's a whole industry around it it's a lucrative money-making business the fact that you're poking it and that you get a violent response is exactly what this is about in a way it's a very it's a very resilient um and now we know violent industry at it in, in its sort of psyche if you like because <laughs> it's destroying everything in the real world but it's actually prepared to to lash out with you know as a first instinct in in a protest situation it's exactly that yes it's it is an incredibly you know whenever the industry feels threatened it is so entitled that its immediate response is this authoritarian intimidation and as you said you know quite violent um approach like that is not a that is not a an industry or a company that is willing to accept criticism at all uh, much as they might like to to say that they do and we, we've seen this you know we've we've seen um quadrilla kind of impose injunctions on their fracking sites um we've seen you know quite some some um examples of legal action taken there are lots of ruses that the big players in this industry are trying to take to shut down protest against them and protest which is coming fundamentally from people who want a livable future you know we're not we're not there for we're not there for the joy of it but I think that I was you know because I I listened to a very really great interview you did with a, an activist in South Africa as well uh, who was making the point that we are able to do that here we do still have enough political freedom that we are able to take those kind of confrontational actions here and that's why we sort of should use that right whereas in other parts of the world that that would not be possible at all so we, you know it's I think it's quite it's quite an important right that we that we do exercise. Okay, and when you do use it, 
Can you talk a little bit just about your own protocols, your own red lines and things that are acceptable and not acceptable for your style of protest? Sure. I mean, we we would never want to do anything that would cause harm to anyone, you know, Um, and it is like we we accept that some of our actions will cause disruption and will cause inconvenience. And we try wherever possible to be as targeted as we possibly can to the the people involved. Um, And that that is in a way sort of the beauty of being a climate activism group based in London. The fact we have all these headquarters of huge um, oil and gas companies, of airlines and of government institutions. So we we have quite a quite a lot of access to those people. So that's what we, we try to do. So we try to minimise the, dis- the disruption we cause to others. And as I say, in, in our activism, we'd never want anyone to, to get hurt or anything as well. Okay. And oil and gas companies often say that they're just answering demand. We all need fuel for our way of life, etc. What's your response to this line of defence? Well, if they were if they were doing everything they could to sort of say, OK, we've got we're going to move all of our money, all of our investments, all of our new projects are going to be in renewables, then maybe we could have that discussion. But that's not what they're doing. What they're doing is plying ahead with more oil and gas, which is not going to come online for years to come. And that's locking us into this cycle for, you know, for, for decades. And I think there's a very easy retort that they come back with and say, oh, well, you can't shut off fossil fuels overnight. And that may be true, but that doesn't mean that we should be locking ourselves into more of them for the next 20 years. Um, and I think there's been a really a really worrying um, kind of opportunistic tendency by this government to try and use the horrifying war in Ukraine and the rising kind of oil and gas prices off the, to push through new fossil fuel extraction sites um, right across the UK. So I've, I've talked about the ones that UK oil and gas are involved with, and they're primarily in the south of England. We've also got, we've also seen the Jackdaw gas field in, in the North Sea that's owned by Shell. And there, there's been a line often that, oh, well, we need to do this because it we need to bring down oil and gas bills. But frankly they're not going to help with that because they're not going to come online for years to come and then they're going to be sold on the open market to the highest bidder really it's a determination to soldier on with this industry rather than moving in the direction that we need to which is which is renewable sure okay where do you find the most traction with your campaign does it appeal to a certain generation does it reach the mainstream media what has been the most encouraging responses that's a really nice question, actually. Um, I think that generationally our group is quite young, but we I don't think that is necessarily true of the climate movement as a whole. I think that Fossil Free London in particular has maybe quite a, a, a youthful style and quite a youthful kind of communications operation and brand and all of that sort of stuff. So I think that's partly why we appeal to those groups in particular. But in terms of the people who will support our actions, you know, they, they kind of span the generations and um, the clue is in the name. They're primarily London based. As with the rest of the climate movement, we're not as diverse as we need to be. And we're, you know, we try to do what we can to to tackle that. But it is absolutely a work in progress. But in terms of what like gets most interest outside of kind of our activists, as, as it were, um, it's, it's really hit and miss. Um, but I think people like to see stories about fossil fuel companies being given a hard time. I think that appeals to people because I don't think anyone likes them. You know, even if you are, even if you're a bit sceptical of, renewables or you have a a difficult time with climate activists i think most people can get behind the idea 
that Shell or Yuko and Gas or BPR, well, I'm not going to swear on your podcast, but um, are unsavory, unsavory entities. That appeals to people. People like to see these really big corporations held to account in sort of slightly disruptive ways. And in terms of the media, you know, that piece was covered in the Daily Mail and, you know, a previous action that, that we were one of the organisers on, which had disrupted Shell's annual general meeting about a month ago, got, you know, massive pickup in the Guardian, the Times, the Independent, and internationally as well. So what sort of response was it? I would say it was quite neutral. We didn't have sort of, you know, long comment pieces that were either praising or disparaging the action that we took. But I suppose it sort of, you know, put across our message, included our quotes, and it sort of, you know, did have our side of the argument. But I think it was also, it, it also kind of was very fixated on the action itself. And rather than the thing that we're trying to say, which yeah. is that, you know, and it's, it's it's lovely to sort of have your action covered in great detail. Um, and that's sort of very personally quite validating, but it's not, not fundamentally why we're here. Why we're here is because we need to sort of stop oil and gas extraction very, very quickly. And that I think the protest is a means to talking about that. And sometimes you get more focus on the protest than you actually do the thing that you're trying to get attention to. Okay. So yeah, we need to be talking more about the why and, you know, I keep, repeating it all the time but the climate scientists are warning us constantly that we're rapidly consuming the carbon budget and we need to drastically reduce fossil fuel burning if we want to avoid worldwide catastrophe and a lot of these catastrophes have already started i mean it's not that this is in the future many people are suffering now and we are going to suffer from a lot of food impacts you know now the ukrainian war is a layer in a in a bunch of other sort of climate related impacts as well are there enough of you out there is is the question i would ask at the moment raising awareness of just how serious this all is yeah no really really good question um there are not enough but there are more more and more people getting involved and even with a very small number as we saw from the action that we were discussing this week you can cause quite a lot of, you can get quite a lot of attention, you can cause quite a lot of disruption, you can make quite a big impact. You know, because polling shows us people are really worried about climate change. People think it's an issue, people think we need to do more. But there is a bit of a, there is a gap between concern and then that concern being turned into action. And I think that's what we in in, in the climate movement, I think, need to do more to, to counter. But I think people often, often have this sense of, oh, it's this really far away thing. It's sort of power stations somewhere, it, it's forests burning, it's... Pacific islands that are in danger of sort of being permanently inundated. And it is all that, but it is also all the things that are sort of, that are headquartered here in London, like the fossil fuel um, industry headquarters, like the the major sort of um, centres of the UK government, like the headlines of car companies and uh, airline companies. So I think that when you kind of think about it a bit more and you start to think, okay, now that is actually, climate change isn't this thing over there. It's actually happening right here, the driving forces of it. Uh, many of them in London, then it starts to seem like something that it's much more possible to do something about. Because as I say, you can really target your action quite impactfully to get to those people with power. So I think that yeah, when the more people kind of realise that and the more people think, okay, no, this is something that I can do. It's something that I can, you know, take part in. And um, I don't have to sort of label myself a capital A activist to, to get involved with it. Then I think that the numbers of people coming forward do increase. But you know, you asked if we had enough people, and I will absolutely just take this as an opportunity to do a shameless pitch to say, no, please join Fossil Free London or, or other activist groups in your area um, to do more of this kind of thing, because we need you. It feels like a, a new wave where things are 
more strategic. They're, they're very, you know, you're identifying culprits. And once you do that, you get inside the social structure because someone might see someone they know who's on the wrong side and it becomes embarrassing for people or people have to make excuses for their friends and all this kind of stuff. And eventually that becomes untenable. It you know, people's values have to kick in, especially as we're now seeing this sort of cascade of current events relating to climate change. So it feels like there's a sort of a new, a new wave going. Will we be hearing from Fossil Free London during the summer? of 22. Absolutely, of course, of course. Um, you know, the fossil fuel companies aren't aren't going away in that time and nor will we be. Um, no, I think, you know, we've got a few key campaigns that we're really going to be dialing up. So one of them is is focusing on um one of them is focusing on Barclays Bank, which is, you know, as you may know, the largest funder of, uh, of fossil fuel companies in Europe. So we're really kind of pushing the pressure on them to say, you can withdraw your funding, you can put your money elsewhere. In a way, it's, it's much easier for Barclays to change its actions than it is for Shell or UK oil and gas or any of these others. And you can, you know, make a real positive difference. But right now they're refusing to do that. So we're going to be amping up the pressure on them. We're also going to be continuing our campaign against Shell because, as you may know, they've moved their headquarters to the UK in the last in the last year or so. And again, that gives us a, a real opportunity to push back on them here. And then the last thing is that, you know, there's a really worrying prospect of a whole new swath of oil and gas explore, exploration licenses being issued um, by the UK government in September. I spoke about the Jackdaw gas field that got sort of rushed through this huge gas field off the coast of Aberdeen would cause sort of more emissions in its lifetime than the whole of Ghana does. Um, it's, you know, would really can blow our climate targets out the water. And there are loads of those that are poised to be given the go ahead. And that would really sink our kind of our, our carbon budgeting. So we're going to have a, you know, a really big mobilisation in London, but also with other groups across the UK later in the summer to try and urge the government to not grant those licences. Because, you know, if they go ahead, you know, that two degrees is, is uh, staying, staying beneath two degrees seems like it's, you know, it's out of the water. Well, yeah. I mean, this government seems hopelessly enthralled to, to any kind of dodgy cash. So I'm sure that um, you have a struggle on your hands, but they're also good at U-turning as well. So perhaps, so perhaps public pressure can strike a chord. You say that about the cash though, they, but they've also, you know, they brought in this windfall tax after lots of campaigning. And, you know, many of us, you know, myself included, w- w- was really glad. And then you see the detail and you go, well, actually, most of the money they're taking from fossil fuel companies, they're giving back in a subsidy to do more exploration, to do to dig up more of the unburnable oil and gas that we desperately need them to stop. So, you know, that's not in the interest of the public finances at all. That's completely the opposite. Every £100 that Shell invests in New York, North Sea oil and gas drilling, £91 of that is coming from the taxpayer. That's that's bonkers. Well, yeah, it's a particular feature of this government that they need scrutiny from morning till night and all, probably all through the night. So, look, it's been fantastic to speak to you. Thank you very much. Look after yourselves and we'll speak to you again, no doubt. Thank you very much, Nick. It's been really good to, really good to talk to you and um, I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks again for listening. If you are interested to help support this series and help expand the discussion around climate topics, then please do consider backing my channel via Patreon. It will help me produce more content and you will also gain access to more expert interviews. It would be great to engage more with audiences too and understand your views on these topics.